We head now to Miaoli, where a traditional fishing method is still kept alive. Beach sand fishing is a special form of communal fishing with nets invented in Taiwan. The new borough chief in Holong Township, Shreiwei, is getting young people involved in the tradition. And he's also encouraging more public artwork that celebrates local seaside life. Many people work together to pull the fishnets in traditional beach seine fishing. This scene is less and less common in Taiwanese beaches, but you can still find the tools needed for beach seine fishing here in Shreiwei Village in Holong Township. These containers are an exhibition space created by local borough warden Yang Qingwen. He wants to introduce this cultural tradition to people who've never seen beach seine fishing before. Whenever I call on those young people, they love to come and take part. After all, it's a beach event and they're very interested in beach seine fishing. Before becoming borough chief, Liang was a baker. Several years ago, he ran in the borough election in the hope of remodeling Shreiwei. Since his election, the borough has bloomed with street murals, including one depicting the local beach seine fishing traditions. We want to dedicate our efforts to our community and then to serve more people. Why shouldn't we? Of course, we feel an achievement through making our community more beautiful. For the people of the village, at least it's something they can see every day and they can feel that the village chief they support won't disappoint them. So far, there are 11 public artworks based on seaside themes in the village. More and more tourists are coming to appreciate the colorful murals, and local people enjoy the chance to carry on the traditional heritage. The 2023 New Taipei City Wanjingshi Marathon has gained a gold medal designation from World Athletics, an international sports governing body. It is now the only gold label road race in Taiwan. On November 9th, new Taipei Mayor Ho Yi organized a press conference with the Chinese Taipei Athletics Association to celebrate the good news. Let's hear from them. This didn't happen overnight, but only with every new Taipei resident's effort, because the certification doesn't only signify that our tracks follow international standards, but also sufficient medical support during the race. Here we have the beauty of the mountain and the sea, and more importantly, a warm, hospitable community. It is the only gold label race in the country and the best in Asia. The gold label designation stipulates that the racetracks must adhere to world athletic standards. Second, we must also employ an internationally certified physician to oversee medical support during the race. The Wanjingshi Marathon was classified as bronze in 2015 and then silver in 2018. In 2021, the marathon was one of a handful to still go ahead despite the pandemic. Mayor Ho said next year, when the marathon kicks off on March 19th, it will still also strive to be a green race to reduce its environmental impact. A weight loss contest at Kaohsiung Municipal Datong Hospital ended happily for one groom-to-be. A nurse at the hospital, Li Yucheng, wanted to lose weight for his upcoming wedding. Over three months, with support from colleagues, he lost more than 18 kilos. Want some weight loss tips? We talked to the staff from the hospital.
I went to visit my fiance's father at home and he said, How odd, why has your bum gotten so big? Your clothes look like they're eating you. That was the comment that inspired Lee to make a change. The nurse decided to take part in the Kaohsiung Municipal Datong Hospital staff weight loss competition. In just three months, he dropped almost 20 kilograms. I weighed 79.6 kilograms at the start and 61.4 kilograms at the end. At first, I simply went cycling and walking. Apart from core training and weight training, I also went running 20 kilometers. Lee went for the eat less and move more approach to weight loss. He even took up walking the 10-kilometer trip to and from work, clocking up 9 million steps in three months, the equivalent of five trips around Taiwan. Just think, wedding photos with this body would be useless. That's the thought I used every day to encourage myself to continue my daily weight loss plan. Before going to work, I'd get up at around 5.40 a.m. and go to the park to jump rope and do some running and exercise. At my heaviest, I weighed 59 kilograms. Now, I weigh 45 kilograms. More than 200 people at Kaohsiung Municipal Datong Hospital took part in the contest. Many were delighted with their results, though none perhaps more so than this groom-to-be. Of Taiwan's Doctors' Day on November 12th, the Taipei Doctors' Union held a press conference on Wednesday calling for labor rights protection for employed doctors. Under Taiwanese law, only resident physicians or postgraduate trainee doctors are protected under labor law, leaving more than 90% of the physicians without any labor rights protection. The activists called for the amendment of Labor Standards Act to include employed doctors as employees too. Placard in hand, Doctors' Union representatives and DBP lawmaker Hong Shen Han called for legal protections for employed physicians. Of all doctors in Taiwan, over 90% are contracted workers to whom the Labor Standards Act does not apply. Even if the Labor Standards Act stipulation on working hours could not be applied to physicians, they should at least be protected by other legal standards. The more than 90% of people to whom the Labor Standards Act does not apply should be given some protection. Compared to regular employees who are protected by labor law, many employed physicians often have to deal with arbitrary transfers and contract non-renewals. They face heavy penalties for breach of contract, and if they wish to terminate employment, they are often required to give three months' notice. In one example given at the press conference, the Taipei Doctors' Union revealed that one particular practitioner reported being slapped with a 1 million NT penalty after leaving the job. Only after a two-year litigation was the penalty lifted. Even if a physician were employed, they would still not be given any employment or contract protection as stipulated in the civil code. In that case, the employer could treat the physician as an independent contractor, and thereby by ridding the employer of any legal responsibility. Doctors who are supposed to be in hospitals to give their all in treating and caring for patients, many of them are faced with problems regarding contract terms and employment terms, so they're going in and out of courtrooms instead. Currently, only resident physicians in Taiwan, numbered at 4,000, are protected under the Labor Standards Act, representing fewer than 10% of all medical practitioners. 
The doctors' union urged the government to amend either the Labor Standards Act or the Physicians Act accordingly to recognize physicians' employee status and thereby provide rightful protection to employed doctors. With results yet to emerge for the U.S.'s midterms, Taiwan shares gained 291 points on Wednesday to close up at 13,638. TSMC shares gained 18 NT to close up at 417 NT. Shares of JV Energy Technology also soared on Wednesday for the second day in a row. The rise comes after NBA star Dwight Howard signed a deal to play with the Taoyuan Leopards, which is owned by the energy company. Taiwan and the U.S. are strengthening their ties in international development and humanitarian assistance. The American Institute in Taiwan and the Taipei Economic and Cultural Representative Office in the U.S. signed an MOU where the two countries will jointly provide international humanitarian assistance to other countries and conduct research together. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang has the details. The U.S. de facto embassy in Taiwan and Taiwan's de facto embassy in the U.S. have signed an MOU to strengthen their cooperation on international humanitarian assistance and international development. Under the MOU, Taiwan and the U.S. have established a common basis by which USAID and Taiwan ICDF can work together to advance international development efforts, humanitarian assistance projects, and joint research initiatives. I firmly believe that with our combined efforts through this MOU, we will not only enhance our bilateral cooperation, but also contribute to the international community. The U.S. Agency for International Development and the Taiwan International Cooperation and Development Fund will cooperate to enhance climate and disaster resilience in the Pacific region. Taiwan ICDF will contribute up to 600,000 U.S. dollars to a U.S.-Taiwan partnership under USAID's Pacific American Fund. As the official development aid agency of Taiwan, the cooperation between the Taiwan ICDF and the USAID first kick off after the inaugural Pacific Islands Dialogue between Taiwan and the U.S. in October 2019. And then we have since made much progress in our joint efforts for like-minded beneficiary countries and citizens. To build an open and prosperous Indo-Pacific region, the Taiwan ICDF and the USAID have established regular dialogues on climate, cybersecurity, and health which are the most vital topics for our collaboration. This MOU is a testament to the continued expansion of both the breadth and the depth of ties between the United States and Taiwan. Taiwan is a trusted friend and partner. We applaud Taiwan's contributions to the international community. In times of distress or disaster, the United States has been fortunate to work with reliable partners, including Taiwan, to provide assistance and relief. Whether dealing with the impact of the global COVID-19 pandemic or sharing its extensive experience in humanitarian assistance and disaster relief, Taiwan has shown time and again that it is willing and able to share its expertise and help those who are in need. USAID and Taiwan ICDF will also provide support for small and medium-sized enterprises in Paraguay. We are proud to work with Taiwan on development cooperation. 
This MOU will enable our experts to work together on projects and programs to build capacity and bolster economic resilience around the world. For example, USAID and ICDF will provide support for market access and product diversification for micro, small, and medium-sized businesses in Paraguay. Across the Pacific Islands, the United States and Taiwan will award grants to enhance climate and disaster resilience through our joint Pacific American Fund. Through the signing of the MOU, Taiwan and the U.S. hope to continue to work together and with other like-minded partners to provide international development and humanitarian assistance. FTV reporters Stephanie Yang and Liang Junle in Taipei. November is here, which I suppose counts as late fall, almost winter. And winter is not all gloom and doom. In Taiwan, winter arrives with golden sunlight and beautiful natural wonders. The ginkgo trees, for example, are turning a fantastic color right now. If you want to catch the golden ginkgo before they're over, you can head to Wuling Farm in Taichung. A visitor strums his ukulele under the shade of the ginkgo trees, radiating relaxation. As we head into November, the ginkgo forest at Uling Farm is turning from green to gold. Visitors are mesmerized by strolling under the golden canopy. I went to see the ginkgo trees before, but only in Japan. That was my first time. Now it's November once more, and I've come to see the ginkgo again. They are also very beautiful in Taiwan. The leaves are green and gold. Today the sunshine is dancing among the leaves. It's so beautiful. Some visitors say the golden leaves in the sunlight look like butterflies flitting to and fro. Others say that they've flown all the way to Japan or South Korea to see autumn foliage, but here at Uling, it's just as good. Uling Farm has a ginkgo forest over a large area, and the trees are densely planted. There are very few like that in Taiwan. From now until probably the end of November, the ginkgo trees are starting to turn from green to the most beautiful light yellow. The ginkgo forest is next to Chijiawan River. The whole forest is lush and well-watered all year round, which is part of why the trees here look so spectacular. November 11th is Singles Day. In addition to being able to pick up some great deals online, it's also become a popular day for hitting up Ilan's Dongmen Night Market. Those with two or th more ones in their ID number or birthday can receive vouchers to spend at the night market. Two vouchers per qualifying birthdays and two for qualifying ID numbers can be claimed per person. Night market visitors can pick up their vouchers at a designated stall in the night market on November 11th and 12th, receiving up to four vouchers worth 50 NT each. The night market's administration said it will have 8,000 vouchers to give out over the two days. The night market said it hopes the event, which has been held annually for several years now, will spur consumer spending following a lull during the pandemic. A group of activists on Wednesday announced the most recent numbers of a campaign to gauge the pro-China or pro-Taiwan leanings of politicians up for election. In the campaign, they asked candidates to sign a pledge to promise that they won't capitulate to China. All DPP candidates running for mayor or commissioner have signed the pledge, as well as two candidates from the New Power Party. But so far, none of the KMT or independent candidates have signed. 
湾只有抗中保台派以及亲中投降派。In recent days, groups of activists have asked candidates of the upcoming local elections to sign a pledge saying that they won't capitulate to China and will stand up for Taiwan. The activists on Wednesday gave an update on the campaign. All of the people in the DPP signed the pledge, but in the KMT, not a single person signed it. What are they all afraid of? They don't dare sign it or they can't sign it. All 21 DPP candidates in the race for mayor or commissioner signed the pledge, as well as two candidates from the New Power Party. But outside of the two parties, there have been no signatories. As for councillor candidates, only two KMT candidates and two Taiwan People's Party candidates signed the pledge. That's in stark contrast with dozens of DPP and Taiwan State Building Party candidates. Jiang Wanan said that signing the pledge was a stupid thing to do. Meanwhile, during an interpolation with Premier Su Zhenchang, Wu Sihui from the Foreign and National Defense Committee said the pledge was dumb. Of course, we should elect leaders and representatives that the people trust to be able to protect democracy. Ke Wenzhen knows nothing about civil defense. He even mocked me, telling me, yeah, whatever, piss off. Between war and surrendering, even if you choose surrendering, there would be war at the end. The KMT and the Taiwan People's Party don't dare to speak out on this, so that means that they've surrendered already. Will this surrender bring peace? Activists urge politicians not to bow down to China, calling on voters to choose their representatives wisely. Premier Su Zhenchang has ordered an investigation into why Chinese-made drones were used at this year's National Day celebrations. The incident was brought to the Premier's attention by a KMT lawmaker who says that the usage of Chinese drones could have posed a security risk to the president who was watching the show live from the ground. The lawmaker says the incident is an embarrassment for Taiwan. For this year's National Day celebrations, the night sky above Jai was lit up with hundreds of drones forming the national flag. The show delighted spectators, among whom was President Tsai Ing-wen herself. Now a KMT lawmaker is slamming the event, saying the drones pose a security risk as they were made in China. I can't believe that the people at the central government were stupid to this extent with the drone show. The drones in the formation were made in Shenzhen, in mainland China. They're the new generation model of drones, the EMO model. The lawmaker says the frame, batteries, control system and flight patterns were all made in China, saying the only Taiwanese thing about them was the power source. He says the fact is an embarrassment for Taiwan. You get a drone in Jinmen and rush to destroy it at all costs, but you get 500 or 600 drones flying above the president and the legislative speaker and nobody knows it. You treat the drones as part of Team Taiwan. This is not a country, it's a national disgrace. If that's the case, then it may be better not to have a show at all. Premier Su Zhenchang said an investigation would be launched to find how the Chinese drones had ended up in the celebration. Separately, the Minister of Defense dispelled concerns that the availability of China-made civilian drones in Taiwan could pose a security risk if the military were to use them. 
Our military drones were developed by the National Zhongshan Institute of Science and Technology. We can use civilian drones too, and we have incorporated some into the military. But in that case, there are several rules. The first is that they cannot be made in China. The second is that anything related to classified information must follow our regulations. The National Zhongshan Institute of Science and Technology has strict rules. We don't allow Chinese funding or China-made products. The defense minister and the military R&D center said there was no risk of China-made drones accidentally make it into Taiwan's defenses. The government relaxed four sets of COVID rules earlier this week. Now the strict mask mandate could soon be eased before the end of the month, according to the CECC. Health officials say they are currently considering relaxing face mask rules in three stages, starting with making them optional outdoors. Let's hear from the head of CECC, Victor Wang. Our overall direction is to separately consider outdoor and indoor spaces. But the definition of outdoors and the exceptions to the rules are still being discussed. Large events such as concerts, sports competitions or political rallies still gather large groups of people who can't maintain a social distance. So whether a separate set of rules would apply to those situations is something we are considering. In the second stage, the rules would be eased for indoor spaces. But we'll see how that goes. We've been looking at how other countries did it. Whether they just listed out the places where masks must be worn. We're thinking at that stage, masks should remain on in places like hospitals and long-term care centers, as well as public transportation, things like that. And perhaps also large indoor gatherings. In many countries, they stopped making masks compulsory and made it instead a suggestion. That could be a third stage. We can advise people on when to wear masks, but not make them mandatory. Wang says no date has yet been set for the easing of rules, but he says an announcement will be made once all details are set.